from Relay FM. This is Download, recorded Thursday, March the 7th, 2019. This is episode 94, From Switzerland to You. Welcome back to Download, where we cover the most interesting technology stories of the week. I am Jason Snell, your host. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen Hackett. Hello, Jason Snell. Uh, funny week this week, I thought, in terms of headlines. There was there was stuff. There, there was not a lot of like earth-shattering stuff, but there was lots of little interesting bits. And then yeah. also there were electric cars. There were lots of electric cars. We get to to have some uh, some car chat later in the show. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we're going to have our one of our pals who cares about electric cars and cares about cars a lot join us. Mm-hmm. He 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 is on cars. Let's just we'll tease it that way. Ooh, he sits on cars all the time on the top. I tell him to get off, and he just yeah. he's like, "No, I'm going to sit right here on the hood of this car." That could- that could be dangerous. Just get in and sure sit that... in the seats, you. All right. Anyway, uh, but let's get to it. The the most interesting <laughs> non-car related stories of the week uh, as chosen by me and Stephen. And uh, we start with uh, Fitbit. So when yes. Apple, you know, talks about how great the Apple Watch is doing, they put it in a context of, of watches. And what is also going on is that there's this other category that is fitness trackers, which look mm-hmm. exactly like watches. And uh, Apple is a fitness tracker, but it's got much more serious competition, I would say, in the fitness tracker part of the world than it does in the watch yes. part of the world. And uh, what can you tell me about the Versa Lite? Yeah, this is an interesting device. So this is Fitbit's. It looks like a smartwatch. It runs their uh, Fitbit OS, which, remember, they bought... Um, pebble a while back and so they've incorporated some of that stuff but it is not you know a full a full stack smartwatch so it doesn't have wi-fi or nfc or music playback like the uh, some of fitbit's other models this is them rounding out their product line with mm-hmm. a, a less expensive less complex option um but it kind of gives you enough to get done. So it does all your regular fitness tracking. You can swim with it, which is great. Uh, it will also um, like download updates and, and store data and then sync with your smartphone later. So if you're working out, you can leave your phone behind, which is nice. But it's, it's Fitbit continuing to basically flesh out their product line, make things that are you know, fitting more price points, they can undercut Apple on price by leaving some of these things out of their products. And the Versa Lite is the most recent example of that. Yeah, it's, I mean, 160, it's pretty good. I know people who, um, who love their Fitbits and yes. tech people, Apple people who don't bother with an Apple Watch because sure. they don't, um, the only thing that they really want to do is like maybe the time and fitness tracking and the fitness yeah. is, the, is the key. And the impression I get is that not only is it a simpler and cheaper device, but that because it's completely fitness focused, it's better at that than the Apple Watches. Yeah. And a lot of these will show, no, you know, simple notifications. Uh, these generally work better with android phones than mm-hmm. iphones but you have some options there to at least be notified that something's happening so like even sort of a basic like fitbit heart rate tracker from a couple years ago you can see who's calling your phone and you know sort of simple things uh, i think the more interesting or the most interesting product they have announced though is the kid focused fitness tracker mm-hmm. so this is the fitbit ace we're now on the fitbit ace 2 it starts at 70 bucks. It was $100 until this revision. So again, Fitbit's moving down in price. And it is designed for kids. So it's physically smaller. The uh, the screen, like the animations and stuff are sort of kid-friendly with like this cartoon animation of a, of a plant. And you can change it to some other things. And uh, I think this is pretty cool. So like, you know, uh, one of my kids wears my wife's old Fitbit because he likes to keep – he's a – tech head and wants to keep track of his steps and you know i had to like go on amazon to find a third-party band that made this adult fitbit fit a smaller wrist and you know if he inevitably smashes that thing or it dies this would be something i would look at for him and i think it's in a world where you know fitness in kids is like it's a big topic right and it's an important topic and if you want to tackle that with tech 
Fitbit is there for you where something like the Apple watch, I would not give to my 10 year old, right? It's too expensive. He doesn't have a phone. So what's the point of having a smartwatch where something like this kind of fills that, that need in the market? Yeah. I I like how you said it's got kid-friendly animations on it, which I totally understand what you mean. And yet I immediately had this vision of like, wow, what animations are on the adult ones that they don't want the kids to see? (laughs) Is it like a murder or something on the, it's terrible. (laughs) Don't do that. Just we, nobody wants to see it. Fitbit. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's cool that the that the stuff uh the stuff exists. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I think that it is um really easy when you're focused as a tech industry person on the smartwatch market to f- forget or discount this stuff which is coming at the same it is headed to the wrist but from the different, you know, the other direction. And um, you know, it, it is not to be dismissed because there's a lot for a lot of people like Apple started with the watch can do everything and has finally like kind of boiled it down to a few things including fitness and fitbit just said no fitness is all we all we really care about and the other stuff is is uh you know not necessarily irrelevant but not as important and Mm -hmm. they might for a large segment of the market they might be right fitbit is also doing this interesting thing with the rewards program so they can count your steps and basically they share that information and you can get like step gold points with someone like Blue Apron or Adidas. So if you're working out a bunch, you can get discounts at those companies. And of course, they, uh, like Apple, partner with some health insurance companies that may offer these products at a reduced or even free price point, depending on your plan. And, you know, you got to read the fine print there. Maybe you're opting into some research or something. Uh, but, that you know, I think Fitbit has been really smart here. You know, they were playing in a more premium space and the Apple watch came in and especially, you know, you can get an Apple watch for less money than ever, but if you don't have an iPhone or you, or you don't want to spend that kind of money, you just don't want the other stuff. You know, Fitbit, I think has done a good job at evolving and spreading out to these different smaller markets, being cheaper, having things for kids. And, you know, I see a lot of Apple watches in the world, but I still see a whole lot of Fitbits too. They seem to be doing just fine. Yeah, and it opens the question too that would is this a missed opportunity for Apple? Should Apple be trying yes. to to make a uh maybe you know, Apple Watch based thing that is cheaper and that is more fitness focused and maybe doesn't have the power of uh the mainline Apple Watches but is something that can be a uh a low cost small fitness tracker with good battery life too because that's the other thing that I hear from Fitbit users is that the battery lasts a lot longer because oh, yeah. it, it's doing a lot less. So you can mm-hmm. you don't have to you don't have to charge it every day. Yeah, I think it's interesting, right? Apple did that in the iPod line back in the day. Like they had the main line one and they had, oh, you got this little one. And then, oh, we have this one that plays video. And like they spread it out. And we haven't seen that with the Apple Watch yet. But it is really interesting to consider. Like, so for me, I don't use a I use some notifications on my Apple Watch. In fact, I'm kind of back in a habit of not wearing it every day. But what keeps it around for me is the fitness stuff because I like that it integrates with health kit and the other health apps I have on my phone. But if they had something that wasn't a full-blown watch that was a bracelet or something I could just wear to the gym and then wear a regular watch the rest of the time, I'd be really interested in that. And I would imagine other people would be too. So you got to think Apple's considered it, but for whatever reason, they've decided to hold the course for now. All right. Um, Speaking of Apple, we should talk about some Apple uh, Apple related news that's going on. Sure. Um, Third party battery repairs. This is interesting. This is basically the idea that uh, it used to be you bring in your uh, iPhone to be fixed because something went wrong, but you had had the battery service somewhere else. You did it yourself, or you had some guy at a mall kiosk do it for you. It's a little shady, but it happens. Um, especially in the days before Apple publicized that they would do it and and had the last year the lower price for the battery replacements in the stores. Anyway, you your phone breaks and you take it in and Apple looks at it and says, oh, this has been tampered with. A non-Apple person opened this up and did a battery replacement. We refuse to fix it. And it sounds like that policy has been changed where Apple, you know, basically has loosened up a little bit and, and is like, all right, well, you know, we're going to fix your phone even if a third party uh, replaced your battery. Yeah, I think it's a good move. I think a lot of people got stuck with a phone they couldn't have repaired and that's a that's not great and I, I imagine too, Federico made this point of connected that maybe part of this is you know, the Apple stores were overrun with battery replacements last year. Yeah. And so you got to think some people realized they could put a new battery in their phone that make their phone better, but the store needed, you know, two weeks to do it. So they just went down to the, you know, the, the kiosk at the mall or, you know, 
like like so in Memphis where our Apple store is literally across the street is like a third party like iFix type place mm. and you imagine those guys cleaned up and uh, and now Apple's honoring those they're not going to do anything to the battery so if that battery goes dead that's on you and that other person but if your screen dies or something else happens you're not you're not stranded and I think that's good for everybody no it's good it's good my um my mom was using a uh, phone with a battery that I replaced and it died. And I had that moment of like, I just have to kind of keep, keep this or smash it into pieces because I can't boot it now. And, um, but Apple won't fix it. And then this story came out. And I thought, Oh, Apple might fix it now because I, you know, the, the sin of replacing the battery has been forgiven apparently, which mm-hmm. is not bad. I, uh, so I went to college in San Diego and I, I had got a good chuckle out of this story out of, uh, San Diego where the mayor, uh, had a, like a press conference and was really excited to announce that, um, Apple, that he, he met with Apple and invited them to grow in San Diego, uh, which, you know, I, it's more complex than that, but Apple has said that they are going to increase their uh, San Diego jobs by an additional 20%, which means basically 1,200 jobs in San Diego over the next three years, 170 in place by the end of the year. Now, you know, San Diego is a great place. Stay classy, San Diego. Uh, great weather. America's finest city. All of that. They're building a campus there. So they're, they're going to build like, because there are going to be so many Apple people there um, that... Uh, so you're you're saying to yourself, well, why do I care? Like this is probably happening in all sorts of cities. Here's the thing that made me chuckle about this story, which is, you know who else is in San Diego? You know who's got a whole campus in the Sorrento Valley, just north of where I went to college, UC San Diego. Um, uh, the uh, which, which, by the way, trivia wise, has a, uh, a Carl Strauss brew pub on the campus essentially because they've grown around it. It's Qualcomm. <laughs> uh, the Carl Strauss is, is, uh, is, I think they have a lot of meetings at the brew pub is what I'm saying at the beer garden. Qualcomm, who Apple is in this really vicious legal back and forth about patents and fees and the licensing fees of patents and not providing 5G modems. And they've got Intel supplying modems because they don't want to do business with Qualcomm anymore. And it's just this whole thing. Well, Think about that when you think about Apple expanding in San Diego, because apparently a lot of the expansion in San Diego is going to be about modem design, which means Apple's expanding in San Diego by hiring people away from Qualcomm. And that is much more interesting than Kevin Falconer, the mayor of San Diego, saying, yay, Apple's bringing people to San Diego. San Diego's great. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But that little aspect of it i find fascinating it's a little bit like a bunch of uh, tech companies including apple uh, setting up outposts in seattle because right. uh, apple and google setting up outposts in seattle because there are a lot of really talented cloud services engineers at amazon and microsoft and they don't want to move and so you build a new campus in seattle and get the cloud people and you build a new campus in san diego and you get the the modem people from qualcomm and that seems to be what's happening here so um i guess apple's banking on not uh not uh, resolving its issues with Qualcomm. (laughs) In my mind, as you were speaking, I saw the fight scene from Anchorman. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's how it's going to go down on the streets of San Diego between engineers of Qualcomm and Apple. It could be. I mean, maybe they will... I don't know where Apple's planning on building its... uh, it's it's campus, but if they build it in the Sorrento Valley or near there, then they can just meet at the Carl Strauss's uh, beer garden uh, and uh, and have it out right there in the parking lot. (laughs) Drink a little German <laughs> beer and then uh, and then settle your differences in the parking lot. I don't know. Anyway, I mm-hmm. think that's interesting. I love San Diego, and uh, apparently Apple does too. Especially all of the Qualcomm engineers who live in San Diego, and it would be hard to convince somebody who lives in San Diego to move somewhere else. I think so. We're just going to build a campus there. Okay. Um, foldable smartphones. We've been talking about that a lot the last few weeks, and we thought we were done. Right? Like, phew. We're through uh, Samsung Unpacked and Mobile World Congress. Um, And uh, no, in fact, what that means is that there's now a story uh, in Bloomberg about how Samsung is working on two more foldable smartphone models that will follow the Galaxy Fold. Uh, Bloomberg reports that they will be developing a clamshell-like device and another one that folds outward which which Mike Hurley told me this week, we should call that from origami, we should call that a mountain, whereas the inward folding one is valley, 
I think I like that better than any and Audi anyway. Yes. So they're working yes. on the, these these two uh, clamshell like thing, uh, and uh, which which I guess. I don't know what that means and how that's different from the Galaxy Fold. Maybe no screen on the outside, and it's more like a like a, a, a closed with no surface on the outside, like no screen on the outside, and then you pop it open. I don't know. But anyway, there's more folding phones that are being worked on by Samsung. Um, Samsung, of course, makes fo- folding screens as well, so like they really want this to be a thing. But uh, Stephen, it sounds to me like uh we are like we are going to just keep having waves and waves of folding phones that's that is our lot for the next few years it seems like it's here or at the very least these companies want it to be <laughs> yep. here you know i view the things that have been re- announced over the last couple of weeks as basically prototypes you can buy yep. like those are not mainstream products so i'm going to reserve judgment if this can be a mainstream product until something comes out that regular people can and want to buy. So maybe that's what these are. Maybe that's what these devices are destined to be of like, okay, this is one you can buy for $1,200 as opposed to $2,900. But until then, I just, I don't know if we know enough about them to judge if it's going to be a good idea or not. No, that, that to me is the most fascinating thing about the entire folding phone thing is that I feel like the specter of uh, 3D TVs hovers over this whole category. And that may be unfair, but we, I, I feel like we don't know yet. 3D TV was the thing that the TV industry grabbed onto when HDTV sales flattened to try and do another consumer kind of like buying spurt where everybody had to switch to 3D now. And the consumers were like, nope, we're fine. Like, that's it. We're fine. And I think they're having a little more success with 4K and HDR um, than they did with 3D. But still, it's like you've got to find new ways to get people excited and new tech, uh, but only if consumers accept it. And and that is the part that is not like it seems like a good idea, better idea than 3D TV. But like people might not like it or they might not like what they're being offered right now for the prices, obviously, but also like function wise. Like it may be five years before there's folding screen technology that actually gains consumer acceptance. And in the meantime, I feel like they risk rejection, right? Like if it's really bad and expensive and, and has all sorts of issues in the next few years, um, it could set that technology back because it could get a bad reputation. But I'm thinking of like, sure. um, like the Newton, putting back handheld devices for a while because it was like oh no handwriting like handwriting recognition is still not a thing that people focus on and i think maybe it's in part because the newton just poisoned that well and and like even the ipad doesn't do uh easy handwriting recognition it's like now forget it we're not gonna even bother i don't know i don't know that's my that's my concern about the folding stuff is that they risk if they do it if they do it wrong early on it may not get the chance to evolve into something that people want Wow. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Um, okay, we, we Facebook time. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> this is the the heavy sigh portion of download where we talk about uh, Facebook some more. So, in a uh, twist, uh, there's a big uh, deep thinking Facebook post by Mark Zuckerberg that is not part of the emergency response team for some horrible revelation about Facebook's business practices, which is what most of the Facebook links we do in our show notes have been over the last yeah. year. I was surprised, actually, when I loaded this. I was like, oh, this is just a blog post he wrote. This isn't on, you know, slash PR or slash news. This is just like a thing that I'm sure they saw, but it's a very different – that sets it off to be like a different tone of thing. Right off the bat for me. It's not crisis management, which is what right. <laughs> Facebook has been doing the last little while is crisis management. No, this is so. So this is basically um, Zuckerberg saying we've been thinking about where we're taking our business and we haven't focused enough on connecting small groups together privately. And that's what we're going to focus on is private end-to-end encrypted connections among you know one-to-one and also like small groups because so much of facebook and instagram is about posting things publicly and a lot of stuff that people want to communicate is is private and the reactions to this were fascinating because there were the reactions that were um oh this facebook's going to pivot and change its business model which i think is not true or uh facebook is going is saying they're not afraid of uh 
of losing business in countries where end-to-end encryption is not allowed, which is not really true because they're not in China right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it is, in fact, I would argue kind of in line with what Facebook does, which is basically, hey, here's a, pla- a, w- a place we can leverage our incredible power and enter an area or, or re-engage in an area where people are, are wanting these services, and we'd rather they be on Facebook than somewhere else doing them, which is very Facebook. It is. I mean, if you look at their purchase of Instagram and WhatsApp and Oculus, those follow this playbook, right? They're, they see an audience, a large audience, and especially in terms of Instagram and WhatsApp, that aren't using the Facebook Blue app, as it's called. They're not using Facebook Messenger. They are migrating to something else. And so Facebook's answer is, okay, we'll just do that too, and we'll buy it. Or in this case, reading this, it seems like they're going to build some products or change their products. So there are like uh, five sort of pillars that Zuckerberg uh, comments on that I just want to run through real quickly. Um Private interactions, so basically what he calls simple, intimate places, so you can communicate with people you want to. So this feels like Facebook Messenger or something like that. But then the next one is end-to-end encryption. <laughs> so um, that's something that uh, you don't always have in in all of Facebook's products. It's something that is like centrally core to iMessage, but uh, – they say that that's something they want to do. That will bring heat from governments, right? Just like Apple gets over mm-hmm. iMessage, but clearly the right answer. Uh, reducing permanence. So something like uh, Instagram stories or messages that disappear after a set yeah. amount of time. It's your Signal Snapchat kind of yeah. thing too, right? Yeah. Stories um, does it. Signal does it. Other, you know, I, so basically he says you shouldn't have to worry about something in your past coming back to haunt you years later and. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, safety, he lists as fourth. That should have been first. But um, basically, he says to keep everyone safe on their services within the limits of what's possible to do in an encrypted environment. Again, that should be first, but that's okay. Uh, interoperability, so being able to reach people across networks easily and sec- securely. That's sort of hand wavy to me because Facebook is a closed platform, but it works everywhere. So I don't really know what he views that needs to be different about that, but it's there. Yeah. Also there's technically there's an issue with end to end encryption, which is why this can only be interoperable across the Facebook services because, um, you know, you, it's, you can't go across other services with other providers and have it be end to end encrypted across, right? Because you would have to have like weird key exchanges. And I think it'd be very difficult technically. So it's interesting that he's putting it out there as a, as a positive. What, what really what he's saying here is uh, synergy is a positive because we own a lot of services and they're all going to be super convenient to move between as long as it's a Facebook service, we'll make it easy. Sure. And uh, and another thing you mentioned about secure data storage, doing that in a way that – and in countries that they uh, feel like work the way they want them to work. So not China, (laughs) Um, which is sort of a blow at companies that do do that, including Apple. So on the surface of this, all five of these things sound great to me. I feel – and you know – my bias here is that I don't have a Facebook account. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I do use Instagram. I don't like Facebook. I don't like – what Mark Zuckerberg has built. But if they can do this, it would be great. I have my doubts that this is something they can do with their current products and that they will, or that their shareholders will be hip to this when it means that their revenue uh, takes a hit because some of the ways they make their money are in conflict with some of these ideals, at least on the surface. And so they have to rework things like their ad platform to follow these five pillars. Right. And uh, there's a, there are two great other things in the show notes. One, an article by Casey Newton, who I think is the journalist covering Facebook right now. Casey does amazing work. He did that story last week about the people in charge of uh, policing content, which right. was just breathtaking. And then Nicholas Thompson over on Wired actually got an interview with Mark Zuckerberg about this. Both of these things you should go read. And I think both writers do a good job at showing – uh, this point of view of like, you know, you've got a track record here that's not – doesn't lead to where you're saying you want to go. And Zuckerberg admits to that and agrees with them. So 
I, I'm not willing to give them the benefit of the doubt until we see this, but short of, short of that, it seems like he, he is genuine about this. Uh, but I, I think the proof is going to be in the pudding, as the kids say. So I, uh, kids don't say that. Um, <laughs> kids the, don't say that. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a link in as well to uh, a piece by Ben Thompson on Stratechery called Facebook's Privacy Cake, and that's as in having it and eating it too. Because the point that he makes is, uh, Facebook, old Facebook's not going away. This is other stuff. This is uh, Zuckerberg building up uh, Facebook's because uh, he is, if anything, super savvy about seeing where um, where people are going and wanting Facebook to be there so that they don't go somewhere else. So he'll do this alongside and there will be some issues in terms of like advertising. But if they can, he can keep you in the Facebook fold in general and then find ways to make money off of you in public spaces, even if it's harder in private spaces, or do they do some sort of differential privacy thing or some other kind of like the way? I mean, they've got your data, right? So they should be able to advertise you in private spaces, uh, advertise to you too, because they still know who you are. So there are, there are things about this that you know ben thompson's point is this actually fits in with facebook's model if you think of facebook's model as trying to be kind of like everywhere and have everybody using their platforms and although there are are issues um with this they get pr benefits of talking about privacy while still having their core business which is all about not privacy and just running them both and as you mentioned it actually puts the shoe on the other foot in terms of apple and Ben mentions this too, where Apple being in China, uh, Facebook gets to say, well, we just won't do that because we believe in, in privacy as a human right. And it makes Facebook suddenly look like a defender of privacy and Apple look like somebody who is willing to uh, give up on, on its privacy ideals to be in China, uh, which is true. And yet also, like, again, what I just said was Facebook strong on privacy. These are not words that should go together. So mm-hmm. it is, uh, I, I think Ben's take is really good in that he says, look, it's Facebook. This is not Facebook recanting. This is not Facebook changing its business model and apologizing. This is Facebook um, adding some new stuff because they think that's where the growth is going to happen. Um, they're not breaking their business model. They're still Facebook. Um, and this is, uh, this is another savvy move by Mark Zuckerberg to take them into areas where somebody needs to be. And if somebody's going to be there, he wants it to be Facebook. We can't, we can't yeah. escape them on the show, can we? You cannot. Well, you know, un- until we discover like another planet full of people that Facebook can expand to, like it's filled, <laughs> it's filled up this planet. So we got to talk about it. So um, I don't wish that on any other planet to get more Facebook. Okay, we are going to come back. We are going to talk about uh, Cars with our special guest. We're going to have to come up with a title for him. I don't know, something fancy. But first, let me tell you about our sponsor. This episode of Download is brought to you by Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. You get a server running in just seconds. I do this. I, my server is a Linode server. Um, and you can boot a server. You pick a Linux distro, resources, node location, boom, press a couple of buttons in their web interface, and you got a server on the internet configurable to your heart's desire. Linode serves customers with the help of 10 different data centers that you get to choose from across the world. Uh, Mumbai and Toronto both will have data centers before 2020 to go with all the other data centers they've got. Mine's in Dallas, Texas. Just thought you should know that they have native ssd storage 40 gigabit network intel e5 processors uh, what, what this all means is you can serve your customers even faster than before these are super fast servers in the cloud controlled by you from wherever you are and you don't have to stress about overspending they have pricing tiers to feature hourly billing what that means is that if you need to spin up a server temporarily it's billed by the hour so you can uh like run a second server maybe you're doing a migration so you spin up a second server and you do a migration and a software upgrade and then you make sure it's working fine and then you shut down your other server when the servers are running it's just hourly and then it's also got a monthly cap so you don't have this question of exactly what your monthly bill is going to be i am never surprised by my monthly bill from Linode. i know exactly what it's going to be and it's a very small number uh, Linode has pricing options to suit everyone 
Uh, plans start at $5 a month for a 1 gig of RAM server, and they've also got high memory plans starting with 16 gigs of RAM. And they've got a great deal for you. You can go to linode.com slash downloadfm. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash downloadfm and use the promo code downloadfm2019 and you'll get $20 toward any Linode plan. Do the math about that one gig of RAM plan. That's four free months. And there's a seven-day money-back guarantee, so you have nothing to lose. Give it a try today. Linode.com slash DownloadFM and promo code DownloadFM2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Thank you to Linode for supporting Download and all of Relay FM. Now, the story you might have missed, something that may have flown under your radar, but is worth mentioning. Stephen, um, Alexa and Roku sitting in a tree is that what's going on here yeah i picked this because it's a it's another example of these you know companies that sell sort of competing products but they get along for growth of voice assistants so you know amazon has the fire stick and roku does very similar things but it seems that roku is continuing to expand its voice control Options. So they already support Google Assistant and has its own built-in voice assistant, which I've heard pretty mixed things about. But now you can have your Amazon friend there too. And so you can issue commands through uh, an Amazon Echo or another Amazon voice-powered device. And basically you add the suffix on Roku and it can do things like switch the Roku TV on and off or change channels, adjust the volume, and um, – you know, it's 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 not new. Lots of other things do this, but you know, Roku is in an interesting place because these other platforms are owned by much bigger companies, and Roku is independent, and they make TVs and then you know that and make software that goes on other people's TVs. But the Echo is owned by a massive company. Siri is owned by a massive company. So Roku's playing nice with as many as possible, and I think it's super smart from their perspective. And I think people who have Roku really like it, and so giving them more options is going to be good for their customer base. Yeah, I just actually set up um, this week a new version of this uh, Homebridge stuff that I use to bridge uh, Apple's HomeKit stuff with non-compatible products. A new version with the Logitech Harmony remote that lets me do a lot of the same things to control my TV. And then I saw this and I thought, oh, I can add this because I have a TCL TV. It's got Roku embedded in it. I can add this and use uh, the Amazon Assistant to do it as well, which is pretty cool, and do it directly instead of having to use the kind of like uh, inter intermediate step of the Logitech stuff. And this is I, it's good because a lot of times all you really want to do is say like open this app and or play this show, and uh, the more you, you can do that and not have like five remotes on your coffee table, it's probably a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Good Roku. They're keeping it going. They keep re- reinventing themselves and finding ways to succeed when they're, like you said, surrounded by giants. Good for them. Okay, now uh, we are going to be joined by our special guest for this episode. He is one of the hosts of the Accidental Tech Podcast, which originally was a car podcast called Neutral. Uh, this is my way. And, and of course, he is a well-known and world-famous car YouTuber. It's Casey Liss. Hi, Casey. <laughs> You know, this was my one opportunity to be called special automotive correspondent, and you didn't give oh, that to me. Wow. Yeah, we blew it. All right, Stephen, you, know you, you, you call him, call him Mark, special automotive correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're here because you are our special automotive correspondent. Yay! I mean, mm-hmm. yes, that's yes. me. How mm-hmm. are you, gentlemen? Yep. Yep. <laughs> and it's the Geneva Auto Show. And we haven't talked a lot about cars on download over the years but increasingly cars are mobile tech products right it started with tesla and their giant screen but it feels like all sorts of cars now are bringing tech more and more like into the cabin into self-driving systems so we thought it was a good time to sort of check in with somebody who knows what's going on and and talk about how these two fields just continue I was going to say it continued to be on a crash course and then I realized I was talking about cars <laughs> inappropriate but I can't I'm stuck with that now Yeah, that's all right. Well, I mean, I think really what it was is you wanted an excuse to talk about this new Kia uh, concept car. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it takes 21 phone-sized screens and makes a dashboard out of it because reasons? This looks 
awful. And beyond that, you know somebody's going to lean on like six of these phones at once to get out of the car and shatter every single they, one of them. They won't because this this car will never ship. But it is. Of course, it, it looks yeah. like somebody's art project. Right, it's, it looks mm-hmm. like a little art project about like, wow. Sometimes you want to drive, but no, you've got twenty one phones in front of you, man. And what does that mean about our society, man? It's like, yeah, okay, well, whatever. Now Kia. you're driving the information superhighway. <laughs> Look at all these phones. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Boy. Well, I mean, so many car shows are like this, right? Where they've got they've got stuff like this where you're like, that's not a thing that is ever like that. That is literally just hatched so that dummies on podcasts like this one will be like, oh, look at that, and say the name Kia, and therefore they're like. Like, ding, we got it. They mentioned Victory. our name. Um, but there, there, you know, the electric car thing, uh, which we've, it has been kind of uh, idling. Did I do that right? For a well while done. now, it is starting to rev up. Oh, did I do? No, oh, I got to stop. Nicely done. I got to stop. Uh, because all, the, all of these um, auto show stories now are about uh, Tesla rivals, uh, bigger automakers finally saying we're going to make an electric sedan that's not that doesn't look like a roller skate. The, the roller skates are also there. <laughs> we're going to make, and I I have one of those, right? So I, I get it. Um, and also like SUVs, and there are lots of questions about like what the right price is for these things. And you've got like Jaguar doing one, and BMW's got a bunch going on. I, I just I'm fascinated by the fact that it seems like the rest of the car world is is now at least on the precipice of finally directly competing with tesla which has sort of had as marco has said on on atp several times over the last few years uh basically had the field to itself for way too long yeah it's it's interesting because the geneva motor show in years past to the best of my recollection it's all about here's the latest lamborghini here's the latest Mm. ferrari here's the latest bugatti and other makes other than italians as well but you get the idea and this time if you look at like the verges wrap-up which will be in the show notes it's basically look at this manufacturer's electric how about this electric and that electric and this other electric and everything is about oh and by the way there's new bugatti you know it's it's very it's very surprising how much this has kind of been flipped on its head and i mean i don't i don't think that there's a problem like i don't think that that internal combustion engines need to win or anything like that like to me as a car guy i just want something that'll that'll be fun to drive and and electric cars are fun to drive they're just fun in different ways um but it's just fascinating to me that there's been such a, a kind of shift in what's getting attention. And maybe, it, you know, I didn't go to the show. Uh, you know, Relay didn't decide to spend mm-hmm. their budget on sending me to Geneva, which I, I filed a formal complaint about. But nevertheless, <laughs> I don't know if it's because the coverage is all about electrics and maybe there was more traditional stuff. And I'm in and I'm reading too much into the fact that all the coverage was about electrics. And thus, you know, I'm assuming that the show was all about electrics, even though maybe it was but from everything that i've told looking across several different publications it is all all not all of course but very much heavily weighted on electric cars and and i've picked out a few that i think are interesting but i'd very much like to hear if there were ones that you guys thought were interesting you know what what did you like what did you see um and what what do you think is most noteworthy the thing i care about most today out of everything is the honda e prototype (laughs) it is this adorable it's a toy little, car that you could drive yeah, a, a little <laughs> adorable electric vehicle that it just it looks like a pixar character like that's that's what i keep that's coming back really to good. It yeah, is, is really I, good i could just see it talking and playing with its friends and i want one in my life so very badly you know, I want to make fun of you so badly for this because this is such like a cutesy, like smart car kind of thing. But I agree with you. I think this looks great. I think it's really, really interesting and exciting. I love the idea of Honda, which at least here in America is kind of considered the de facto car. Them and Toyota, right? Are the sure. two like de facto manufacturers. Yeah, they're not American, but if you want a car that will do what you ask of it and not break down, you're going to buy either a Honda or a Toyota. And so. To see this Honda e prototype, 
it does look like a Pixar character. That is an absolutely wonderful analogy. And I think it looks good. Like, it's quirky, sure, but I think it looks good. And if you're going to kind of challenge the way we think about cars, I think they've done so really, really, really well. The outside mostly looks like a car. It has most of the proportions of a car. The side mirrors are cameras, but there's still like a little thing jutting out from the side of the car. The interior makes me makes me think of Kit from the 80s. You know, it's like I'm stepping into a Knight Rider car. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's not a Trans Am, of course, but it sure feels like it if you look at the way they've situated all these screens on the inside. And but yet it's also similar enough to a traditional car that it doesn't look like the Model 3, which almost feels you know, like the Tesla Model 3 almost feels like it's different for the sake of being different. Sure. This feels more like it's different for the sake of progress, or at least it does to me. And I am again, I want to make fun of you so bad because this is so much the opposite of any kind of car I would normally want. But mm-hmm. I love this thing. This thing looks awesome. <laughs> There's definitely Th- a demographic really... that uh, the the little tiny cars appeal to, right? Like uh, where I live, I, there's definitely a slice of the car population that is these little, like the little Fiat and mm-hmm. and yes, and the BMW i3, which is a, yep, a, yep. a little electric car. And there are a lot of these like cute, weird, somewhat weird looking, very small cars. And I look at this and, and, and I wouldn't buy this, but I totally can imagine in three or four years seeing a bunch of these around town too because there there is a definitely a slice of person who wants a small two-door uh and in this case electric kind of cute uh tooling around town kind of car yeah and it still gets 125 miles range supposedly uh which is more than enough for most commutes that i would see over here on the east coast and you know additionally it's supposed to have fast charging which will get you 80 percent of the battery in only half an hour which i mean compared to gasoline or petrol that's terrible but compared to a lot of electric cars that's actually um pretty darn good and so this is i guess pitched as a city car but i totally could imagine this running around the burbs just like you said jason and just being like an around town car i i not knowing the the price they're offering it um oh there you go actually it's between thirty three thousand american and fifty thousand american i mean 50 is a lot but yeah 30 is in the ballpark especially for new technology i think this looks great i think this was really interesting so steven what what do you got uh, i mean the the e-prototype sort of makes me think about my, my frustration with the car industry and you touched on it a second ago but so much of the electric car thing is at the high end still awesome. you got to buy a weird car like a tesla from mm-hmm. a manufacturer that is perpetually almost out of business and <laughs> like I, I just look forward to the day where like i can go buy you know basically any car i want and electric at least be an option and mm-hmm. and it feels like every year we're getting closer to that but if you skim these headlines from the geneva auto show there are some like mainstream manufacturers in here, but a lot of it still is at the high end. And it, w- it will continue to come down, but someone like Honda doing a mainstream electric vehicle, you know, make, making the Accord or the Civic have an, an all-electric option that's comparable in price to a, a gas burner, that is, to me, when we're in the future. You know, stuff like this is great, and it is totally adorable, but the real change comes when you can buy a Honda Civic that runs on batteries yeah i I agree yeah i i think what's really weird right now is that um the target price for these things is i mean the the luxury manufacturers are going to charge you a lot more for it and 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 tesla's going to do that too but like tesla pushing the model 3 down to thirty five thousand dollars um is fascinating because that's around the price of a nissan leaf and a uh, a Chevy Bolt and a bunch of other kind of like boring, you know, compact car, electric cars. Mm-hmm. And th- I think that's really interesting because um, it's going to be a challenge to those manufacturers because if Tesla can remain in business and can actually sell cars for $35,000 to $40,000 instead of up- upwards of that... I think it's a hard sell to be like, I could get this Nissan Leaf or I could get a Model 3. I, like, sure. I, I think that's a hard sell because mm-hmm. it, here is a practical car and here is this kind of super futuristic awesome car and they cost roughly the same, which is why it, it, it um, that part of the market, I, I don't know how that's going to turn out. It's almost like Tesla has uh, has 
really tried very hard to get a, a cheap car, cheap in quotes, but like a low cost <laughs> car for them, um, in order to intrude on that that uh, that area. And a part of me wonders if that wasn't a mistake because the big manufacturers are, are going to be able to make roller skates for that price, and Tesla is apparently like barely breaking even or maybe even losing money on the Model Three, and they've spent so much time ramping up production of it. I don't know. I, I just it's fascinating. I don't know where it's going to go because it, it does seem to Stephen's point like you know they haven't come down in price where they are they are going to sell um, more broadly at a price that is below you know thirty thousand dollars and uh, and the luxury brands are, are embracing it, which is great. But like, what happens in the rest of the in the rest of the area? And Tesla pushing down to thirty five with a, with the bare bones Model Three is not going to revolutionize anything. So, what other cars did you guys like? Because I agree with everything you said about the Honda. Was there anything else that you thought was interesting? You guys spoke a, a little bit about it on ATP this week, but this Volvo Polestar deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, we could talk about the car itself, but it is really maybe the best example I've seen of the technology and the auto industry really just completely merging where this thing ha- will have CarPlay and Android Auto, like a lot of other cars, like, like my, you know, I put an aftermarket <laughs> you know, in my truck that does that. But this thing is like completely powered by voice assistance and you can just go and and talk to it and other cars are doing that including shipping cars but when we see google assistant and the amazon amazon voice assistant like in the car that's sort of a uh, a pretty big change from you know a bunch of like knobs and buttons you had to push driving down the highway yeah, very much so. And uh, BMW has had um, some voice assist for a while that actually sort of works. And Mercedes during the Super Bowl actually did a, a commercial, an advert for, I think, the A-Class that's that has a lot more voice control. But the difference here is that, as you said, Stephen, this is actually a Google head unit, if you will. It's it's Google infotainment that, yeah, Volvo and Polestar have like kind of skinned, but the guts are Google. And so... I believe it does work with CarPlay. It certainly works with Android Auto. But no matter what, it looks good. Like the images I've seen, and The Verge has a really good gallery. The touch targets are enormous, which is wonderful. Um, It just looks to me like it's really well thought out, really well done. I generally like Google's whole material design aesthetic. I mean, I have problems with it here and there, but by and large, I think it's good. And it seems like that's kind of reflected in, in what we're seeing here in the Polestar 2. But I think it's great. It, it, I like the idea of somebody who actually knows what they're doing, doing the infotainment rather than the auto manufacturers kind of reaching outside their comfort zone to do it. And I think this looks great. And the Polestar 2 in general, I think is the most appealing Tesla fighter I've seen yet because it looks like it is a regular car that has a Tesla drivetrain. That's not literally what's happening, but that's kind of the way it's it appears to me it's it's Volvo taking a regular sedan with regular accoutrements and, and you know irregular features, but putting an electric drivetrain on it. Now, in reality, it's it's head to toe, you know, top to bottom, a bespoke electric car, but it's done in a way that makes sense. And it doesn't have any of those compromises that Tesla's sometimes do, including costs. They say it's going to be about the same as a Model 3, probably the more expensive Model 3s, but a Model 3 nevertheless. And so this is the first time I've looked at an electric and thought, oh, that looks good because mm-hmm. I've said that about like, you know, the Tesla Roadster or the Tesla Model S, but those are way outside my price range. And this is outside my price range, but it's at least reachable, which is a difference compared to the Teslas I've really enjoyed. Yeah, I wanted to talk, ask both you guys about this because, as uh, you know, as I like I referenced earlier, I bought a used electric uh, car, uh, Nissan Leaf, that has uh, boy, even 120 miles of range would be awesome because it doesn't have that. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a very, it is doesn't go that far. But um, you guys have gas cars, and um, you know when we're talking about all these electric cars, how far away do you think you are from being able to legitimately consider an electric car? I would guess there's a 50-50 shot my next my next car will be electric. I just bought a car last late last year, so I don't and I'm on like a 
five to 10 year schedule on buying cars. Mm-hmm. As much as I do like them, I don't buy them very often. Um, so in five years, I think it's 50, 50 that I'll get an electric in 10 years. So not the next car, but the car after I will be stunned if it is not electric. That's kind of what I'm expecting. One more, one more gas. And then that's probably it. What about you, Steven? I could totally go electric now that my range needs are so small working at home. Mm -hmm. Everything is in town, even something, you know, like a leaf, you know, that has pretty, pretty decent range, but it's not incredible. I could totally get away with that. Um, Now, if you look at my family, I think we would still need something with better range for like a family trip car. Mm -hmm. We do that a fair bit. We got three kids. My wife drives a Honda Odyssey, you know, I could go, I mean, do an electric odyssey, I guess, at some point. But if you're just asking about me, I could do it now. Um, I haven't, uh, but I, like Casey, just bought something. And I think that the next time I'm due, uh, I'm going to strongly look at something electric. Yeah, I agree that with range, it's not a problem for me at all. It's more momentum and my personal wants and needs of a car like the the, Mm -hmm. most electric cars are certainly quick enough but i i tend to prefer cars that are well cheaper than most of the electric cars that are on sale today and also i i I really enjoy manual transmission and that's not a thing that you'll find in an electric but it's very clear (laughs) what's a transmission yeah yeah exactly but it's clear that irrespective of you know electric or or gasoline or petrol the manual transmission is going away anyway so i don't think i'll it is unlikely that even if my next car is is gasoline i i would be stunned if it ends up being manual transmission unless it's used um because i just don't think they'll be offered anymore so mm-hmm. i i wouldn't be surprised if my next car is electric but i will be stunned like i said if the following car is gasoline and the price tag and the diversity of models are the two things that i think hold it back for a lot of people um the charging yeah. infrastructure is the other one if you happen to live somewhere where you have to uh, you cannot park your car somewhere where there is a plug like the street then it is hard to, <laughs> harder to do that and we have to there you know unless you are driving somewhere where there's an employer lot that's got uh charging but again if this takes off then those charging ports will be taken and that's that's part of the challenge but i think the price and also the fact that you know for a long time there were not a lot of different options for electric cars you had you had sort of like the sports sedan uh from tesla and then you know the the roller skates came in but now <laughs> you see so many um suvs and crossovers and those are the most popular car types in the united states anyway and uh and the major manufacturers are all kind of moving in that direction so it feels like you know in yeah like casey said five years ten years you're gonna have price points hopefully and certainly like model diversity where you can you can find something that fits in your life whereas right now you may have to make a compromise to get that electric car because it's not quite the car you would buy um and and we have that issue where we've got the we got a minivan and it's like i don't need another minivan down you know down the road necessarily but i do need something where we can take a trip and bring the dog and the family and a sedan without a you know that's just four seats the dog has nowhere to go for example right like so that kind of car is not going to work for me so I, i'm going to need something like a an suv or a crossover or something like that so one day one day um casey yep. i wanted to mention the dune buggy can i mention the dune buggy yes i was just about to bring that up that and one other i have i both i have just a few things to say about both but yes tell me about this dune buggy so volkswagen has a dune buggy uh it looks great it's got this kind of matte uh anodized green top yeah thing this was this was a story you may have missed a couple of months ago yeah they yeah they did the, they off. did the first thing so <laughs> they showed it off it looks great um and the thing that i think is interesting about it is that it's it's actually i mean it's a proof of concept it's a concept car it will it ever exist but what they're the con- conceptualization that they want you to do is that they are building this modular electric base and the idea is that manufacturers who don't have to be volkswagen can license this base car and then just uh, customize it and do essentially like short run small run cars that are not as practical to do today and sell you know you, you can make a car model that only sells a small number that would be impractical today and have it be practical and make money and make people happy and so the dune buggy was I th- is an interesting demo because they're saying like this is a wacky class of car but we could build one on our platform and you can sell however many dune buggies electric dune buggies you can sell and it looks great so that that has it it has that going for it too 
Yeah, it also has a lot of history because the original idea of a dune buggy was done back in like the 60s by Meyer, I believe was the company and the gentleman. I, I might have that wrong, but basically some guy decided, hey, you know, if I take the body off a beetle and kind of weld up something different and raise the body up off the chassis a bit, I could drive this on a dune and it could be a uh, a dune buggy. And so um, it, it it, there's a lot of history here, and I really love the idea behind this. First of all, I think it, it looks great. I think it's a really great modern twist on an old concept. And the, and the idea that it is so modular, I think, is really, really clever. And having like these one-off bespoke cars that, that can be for certain weird reasons, I, I love that idea. And so I am all in on this. Uh, I do have one other I want to bring up, but Stephen, any thoughts on the uh, Dune Buggy? It looks awesome. <laughs> I yeah, wish it, I had a place to drive one. Oh, I, you I completely a dune, agree. Get a dune and then you're there. I'll yeah, build a ramp in, the backyard. in my backyard. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> the other one I wanted to very briefly bring up was the Audi Q4 e-tron. So the Audi e-tron is, I think, the size of the Audi Q6. So it's basically like a full-size SUV. And that's just now becoming available here in the States. I actually saw one at, of all places, the Richmond Auto Show, which is really just a glorified showroom. You know, all the local like uh, car stores basically just drive their showrooms into the convention center. And that, they call that a quote-unquote auto show. Not very exciting. However, there was an e-tron there, and that was far and away my favorite car of the show this year and this was just last month and the e-tron seems like a model x but done sanely you know it doesn't have the gull wing <laughs> doors it doesn't have all those weird things just to be different it's a model x done right well the q4 e-tron is the smaller version of the e-tron and so i really really like the concept here it looks great i think it's a better size probably more affordable i i really really think audi is onto something with these and i'm really looking forward to the to the e-tron and the polestar 2 that we talked about earlier i'm looking forward to seeing these around town at some point because i think both of these are are cars that tesla should be really really worried about yeah you know you mentioned you mentioned the uh weird gullwing doors and stuff tesla is apparently um going to shortly announce what people are calling the model y which is i think an admission that the um that the model x was a a big mistake in that it was super expensive crossover when it's a really important category. And the Model Y is apparently using the Model 3 base to make Mm, a crossover, mm -hmm. which will be like a normal car without weird doors and stuff, and therefore presumably uh, cheaper uh, in terms of its price and probably less onerous in terms of maintenance. And, you know, I I feel like that is part of the story of Tesla right now is uh, Tesla has competition and something like the model y is an interesting example of like you may be giving away the electric crossover market by having your weird crossover that you have do something better right do something simpler and maybe they'll do it because i i, I had that same thought which is i look at this and i'm like oh look it's an electric crossover that isn't super weird yeah it's good I have been in a model x for the record and it is quite nice but I'm it sure. is very very weird it's for sure yeah yeah, and very very expensive, right? Which is part of the problem. Oh yeah, so big time. Yeah. Uh, anything else strike you, or or have we hit the heights from from I Switzerland mean, to you? <laughs> I think for the most part, that's that's basically it. There were some other things that I thought were interesting, but by and large, I think that those are the most interesting of them all. And like I said at the beginning, it's all electric. And I, again, there were like there's some weirdo Bugatti that looked like a Lamborghini that's nineteen million dollars to purchase brand new, which is like <laughs> the most expensive car ever. But wow. but by and large, I think that the most interesting stuff is is the stuff we've covered. And and if you want to see like the exotics and the super exotics and the hyper cars and so on, I encourage you to look around. But uh, I think these people cars are the most interesting by by a mile. Well, Casey, it is a pleasure to talk to you about as our special automotive correspondent about what's Thank going on. Much. At the uh, Geneva Auto Show when it comes to electric cars. I think electric cars are definitely tech. Uh, it's a fascinating collision of, ah, see, I did it too, ah. of tech and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and cars. And, uh, and it's cool to hear about them. So we'll have to have you come back sometime again and talk about more electric cars. Thanks, Casey. Yes, please. Yep. Thank you so much, you guys. I really appreciate it. Goodbye, Casey Liss. All right. Uh, before we go, fuzzy puppy update. As if that dune buggy, quite frankly, and that Honda were not enough... Ha, ha, ha.
adorable stuff for you. I do have a, a brief fuzzy puppy update. This is a story that's in The Athletic, so it's a subscription sports site, so you may not be able to read it, although I'll put a link in the notes to it. Anyway, uh, it is about uh, San Francisco Giants announcer and former player Dwayne Kuyper, um, who is a... Uh, who has like sponsored some pet adoption things at a uh, pet organization, uh, a charity for, for uh, pet rescue that is put on by uh, actually Tony LaRusso, who used to be the manager of the Oakland A's and the St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, it just made me laugh because it's a story about his cats. He has a, uh, he has a blind cat and he has a one-eyed and deaf cat. And uh, it also points out that there are many dogs around the Bay Area named for him, uh, which is kind of hilarious just because he, he sponsors these adoption things. And so they name, the, they name their dogs after them. Uh, he hit one home run in his career, by the way, which is why if your dog never leaves the yard, you can name him Dwayne Kuyper because he also never hit home runs. Anyway, uh, the thing that I love about this story is his cat uh, stitches one eye. And they didn't realize that he was also deaf until one day when they brought out the vacuum cleaner. And we know what happens with pets and vacuum cleaners, right? They hate the vacuum cleaners. Yes. So uh, they turn on the vacuum cleaner. And what happens to Stitches the cat? Uh, All the other cats scatter. There are two other cats. They scatter. Stitches gets up on top of the vacuum cleaner and rides it like a cowboy. (laughs) And they're like... Maybe he can't hear the vacuum cleaner, which turned out to be true. He is actually deaf, but I love it. That's that's the best. That's the best. And there are other cat is named after Buster Posey, the San Francisco Giants catch, catcher, which is very on brand. The, you can never escape your uh, your baseball team that you're broadcasting for. Anyway, I think basically here's to Stitches, the cat who rides the vacuum cleaner like a cowboy. I love it. Love it. My uh, really dog, good. my dog was rammed by my Roomba the other day. By the oh, way, oh no, she was very. Oh. She got distracted by me coming in the door, and then the Roomba snuck up behind her and got her in the hind legs, and she le- like leaped four feet in the air, just like, like yeah, robots. What are you gonna do anyway? That's not that's not quite a fuzzy puppy update. Just like mind your robot vacuum cleaners. It's the worst, right? What what would mm-hmm. a dog hate more than a vacuum cleaner? A robot vacuum cleaner. I apologize to my dog. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this edition of Download. Uh, thank you to Casey Liss, our special automotive correspondent, for being here. And Stephen, thank you as always. You bet. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. We will see you next week. And until then, we will keep watching the headlines so you don't have to. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.